Take your Bible, if you will, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 2. Encourage you to take out your notes. And uh, yeah, anyone second grade on down can head downstairs if they want to for children's church. Let you know that. Great song we just sang as I think about that idea of grace and the mystery. And each one of us in this room, if we know Christ is Savior, we have our own unique story of grace. And that's a lot about what this section of Scripture is going to talk about today. In Psalm 103, before we get to that passage, it says that we as believers in Jesus Christ must not forget all of the benefits of knowing Christ as our Savior. Psalm 103, it's one of my favorite psalms I go to when I get kind of down and out. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Think about that. And then the psalmist says this, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. And if he doesn't heal them in this life, we're resurrected to Christ in the next life. Who redeems our life, your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We battle at times, I think, having a godly perspective, a grateful perspective of what God did for us because we're human beings and negativity seems to be something, our default that we go to. Lewis Perry Schaefer, a former Dallas Theological Seminary professor who's now in glory, listed 32 things that happened to our benefit the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior. And today we're going to look at just a few of those things delineated by Peter, the writer of this book. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, as you come to Christ, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am in laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And may God at his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Just a quick reminder of where we have come in the book of 1 Peter. He spends the first 13 verses of chapter 1 talking about our amazing salvation through grace. uh, And then how we are to respond with living our lives in holiness in verses 13 through 21. We respond with our lives by showing sincere and earnest love for our brothers and sisters in Christ in verses 22 through 25. And then we should see the essential need for the word of God, how it works intensely in our lives and how we should desire it intensely as well. As we talked about last week in 1 Peter 1, 25 through chapter 2, verse 3. So I encourage you, how is your devotional life? I gave you a, a, a very strong view of what Peter said, but what about the practical? There's lots of ways I hope that you are doing and getting into the Word of God, and maybe you feel like at times that you are just kind of stuck. You need something different. Think about journaling. Get a journal and journal what God is teaching you and 
telling you about as you go through. Memorize scripture. That's another good way. But of course, you could go to YouVersion app and all kinds of apps on your phone. They have tremendous reading plans. You can read through the Bible chronologically. Uh, you can read through it just as it is. There's all kinds of ways. Read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 Proverbs. You can read one each day for a month. But I hope that you are keeping it interesting and have variety in your life. Here's a great resource, Bible Study Methods, 12 Ways You Can Unlock God's Word by Rick Warren. Um, 12 Ways You Can Study the Bible. We did this a number of years ago in our Connect group. So I just want to encourage you in your devotional life to keep it interesting, to change it up from time to time, but set some goals and uh, make it an intimate time of fellowship with your Heavenly Father. Today we turn to seeing how we are to be living stones like Jesus Christ. The first thing on your outline is that Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. You go through the Bible and there's over 200 names, I believe, for who Jesus is. And this is one of them and not one that we often think or talk much about. In 1 Peter 2, 4, it says, As you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Notice that phrase, as you come to him. In other words, as the faithful draw near to him. This is the picture of a believer who's coming again and again and again with a passionate desire to build this intimate relationship with the one who created him or her. This is the continuing and abiding desire to be intimate with our heavenly father. I've been reading this devotional book this year, Grace for the Moment by Max Licato. And we happen to give those out when men from our church are in the hospital. And uh, he's got a story in there from late September about when he and his daughter Jenna, Max Licato and his daughter Jenna were visiting Israel. And they were in Jerusalem. And they watched as this uh, Jewish man was approaching a corner and his four-year-old daughter was coming behind him. And she was kind of slow and she said, Abba, Abba, Father, Father. And he observed the scene as she uh, he went back and grabbed her hand and took her up to the intersection. And as they crossed, when the light changed, he swooped her and picked her up into his arms. That's the picture that we have of our Abba Father, intimate, intimate relationship with us, intimately loving us and caring for us. Jesus is described in this verse as a living stone. And what does that mean? Jesus was raised from the dead, and he is the giver of life, physically and spiritually, in John 5.21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We see as the living stone, first of all, he was a rejected stone. A rejected stone. Jesus is, even to this day and was, rejected by men. In John 1.10-11, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Can you imagine? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created all the human beings, he comes and his own people rejected him. He was not appreciated. He was misunderstood. He was ridiculed and finally executed because the Jewish leaders rejected Christ's claim that he was the Messiah. Jesus didn't measure up to the Jewish leaders' expectation. They thought he would come in and overthrow the Roman government and the entire Roman Empire 
and take control and be the ruler of the world from that time forward. But what did Jesus do? Instead, he came and he denounced the Pharisees' religious system. From their perspective, he was too weak and humble to overthrow the Roman government. If he was truly the Messiah, why would he be willing to die a humiliating death on the cross that was torturous, like a convicted criminal? You see, the cross to those religious leaders was a curse. It tells us in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. We look at it as a symbol of deliverance and redemption, looking back at the cross. But for them, it was humiliating. It was torturous. It was something no one wanted to do, to face. And Christ was willing to do that. So Peter was convinced after the resurrection and after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and others, he was so convinced he went and preached to his Jewish brethren the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. And Acts 2 records that thousands came to faith in one day. But the most important thing is how did God see Jesus, his one and only son? He saw him as a chosen and precious stone, a chosen and precious stone. Christ was chosen by God. He was considered highly esteemed. Chosen means elected, called by God to carry out his work of redemption. In Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. What I like about that verse is that he's saying at the very precise moment in history, at just the very moment that God said it was time, Christ left heaven, stepped out of heaven, out of his authority, out of his role as uh, at the right hand of the Father, comes down, wraps himself in human flesh, and was willing to walk on this earth with us. He was chosen. He's also precious. This means that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, measured up to God's standards perfectly. In Matthew 3, 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What's significant about that verse and its application to us is this is that Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. He had not done, as far as we know, recorded in Scripture, any ministry to this point. And God was affirming his love for his son, even though he hadn't done anything yet. You know what that means for us? God's not approving us because of what we do for him, but he loves us because of who he created us to be. As someone recently told me, reminded me, that we're human beings, not human doings. God loves us as we are, and he loved his son. He was precious. And then we see a stone. Stone. God is the rock in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 32, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God, we could go on verse after verse in the Old Testament, that he is our fortress, he's our, our rock that we can stand upon. But Jesus is the rock in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So his name was Simon, and Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means little rocks, little pebbles. But then he says, I am the rock, the big rock, Jesus Christ, upon whom the church will be built, and Peter would become a leader in that church. So because of our faith in Christ, we enjoy wonderful spiritual privileges. Spiritual privileges are a right or immunity granted as a particular benefit, a particular advantage or favor that God gives to us. And we're called by God as his special people. And because of that relationship and our faithful commitment to him, we enjoy untold benefits. John 10.10 says that he has given us life and life more abundantly. That means life here in the now. We have peace that passes all understanding. We have confidence because we stand on the word of God. We have security as a believer for eternal life, knowing that once we're saved, we know that he's going to take us into glory to be with him. We have direct access to the Father. For me, as a new believer in Christ, I thought that was the coolest thing, that at three in the morning I could talk to my heavenly Father, that he would be available and willing to listen. Those are just some of the few benefits that we enjoy as believers in Christ. So the application here is the chosen precious and living stone is giving to us spiritual privileges, spiritual privileges, when we received him as our Savior. So enjoy those privileges. Take advantage of those opportunities. Hold on to those promises that God gives us throughout life. When life gets us down, to look at those things from a positive perspective. Well, now that Peter laid out what it meant for Christ to be a living stone, he turns now to apply that to our lives. How does this relate to us? Well, as Christ followers, we are living stones. Christ followers are living stones. Look at verse 5 of 1 Peter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The first thing we see implied in these verses is that you and I are in Christ. In Christ. Peter tells us, first of all, as believers, we are a living hope in chapter 1, verse 3. Then he tells us about the living word as we described last week. And now he's calling us living stones. Remember that our identity is in Christ alone. Many religions say that at the end of our life we disappear and we move on and we lose our personhood, our personality, and everything else. And that's not true of the believer. Who God created you to be is who you'll be through all of eternity. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me as we celebrated communion today. So it's not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Paul reminds us that again and again throughout his letters who we are in Christ. And Ephesians 1 is a great place to go to remember all that we are in Christ. Second of all, in unity with God's plan and people as living stones. In unity with God's plan and people. The church rests on the stone of Christ, who is, in a sense, from God's perspective, to use this metaphor of a stone built perfectly and designed exactly and shaped as the cornerstone of the church. Remember, you and I were commanded to keep the unity of the faith. That doesn't mean we have to conjure it up. It should be something that's part of the Holy Spirit living within us and dwelling us. 
We're to keep the unity that's already there and available through the Holy Spirit. In his first mention of the church, Jesus compared us, you and I, to a building. I will build my church. As Austin said earlier, this building is not the church. When we leave here, we are the church that goes out into the community. And the church is the universal church as well, all around the world, whether it's African people meeting under trees for worship, whether Chinese people are meeting underground in a small room with a candle and a couple pages of scripture, we are all part of the body of Christ. But what's so amazing and what's so cool is that each time someone crosses that line of faith, God reaches down into the rock quarry, the pit of sin, and he takes a rock out and he shapes it and molds it and prepares it and then puts it into the building, the spiritual house that he is building for all of us to be like Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. What a privilege that we have to be a part of his church, a habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 2.19 describes us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you and I, that we're part of the body of Christ, that we're a stone that complements, that fits right into the spiritual house along next to one another as we serve together and use our spiritual gifts. Peter wrote this letter to believers living in five different provinces, yet he said they all belong to one spiritual house. There's unity of God's people that transcends all local and individual assemblies and fellowships. We belong to each other because we belong to Jesus Christ. Story of a contractor in Michigan. He was building a brand new house and he had his men around and they were looking at the blueprints and the first floor of the house went extremely well. But they got to the second level and they kept blaming the people bringing in the materials. Things weren't fitting right. They weren't cut to the proper uh, measurements and all that. And then finally, the foreman discovered that they were working off two separate sets of blueprints. And once they got rid of that old set and followed the new one, the second story and the rest of the house was built beautifully to specification. Too often, Christians hinder the building of the church because we're following the wrong plans. Think about Solomon when he built his temple. His workmen followed the plan so carefully that everything fit together on the construction site according to 1 Kings chapter 6. If all of us would follow God's blueprints that are given in his word, we would be able to work together without discord and build his church for his glory. In unity, in Christ, now in service, in service. He calls us in this verse holy priests. All believers are part of the royal priesthood. Next week, as we look at verse 9 and following, we'll talk more in depth about how we are priests. But for today, Revelation 1, 6 says, And God made us a king, and God made a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Numerous places in scripture that tells us that you and I, we are priests. This is the reason we don't have to go to a priest in order to be absolved or forgiven of our sins. We have a high priest that we have direct access to in heaven 
because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because we pray in the name of Jesus. Our high priest is Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father praying, interceding for us constantly. Ephesians 1.18, it says, For through Christ we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So as we'll see next week, we're not an extension of the Old Testament Jewish priests. In reality, all Christ followers worldwide and right here in our church are ministers to God. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be licensed to preach. You don't have to have gone to seminary. Those things are not necessary. All of us are part of the priesthood of Christ. Think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous preacher, evangelist from yesteryear. He refused to be ordained by human men because he believed he was ordained only of God. He didn't like the term reverend. He wanted to be called pastor. His preaching was always saturated with scripture and centered on loving people and winning people to faith in Christ. Now it's true that some are trained. Some are licensed, some are ordained. I, I am one of those. Some are paid to carry out the ministry for the equipping of the saints to do the ministry God has church, called the church to do. But we have a responsibility, all of us, to carry out our uniquely designed ministry with our one and only personality that God has divinely put together spiritual gifts in your heart to do. God has given the work to us in cooperation with one another in unity with the local body of believers. Then we see in worship, he talks about offering sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. In worship to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As holy priests then, we are to offer ourselves first of all in surrender, making Jesus Lord of our life. You know, have you let him to have full control of every area of your life. That's a constant struggle, constant battle that we have to let the Holy Spirit have full, full control of our entertainment choices, of our money, of you know, how we raise our kids, and on and on it goes. In Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you. He says, I'm begging you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good and acceptable and perfect. We're expected to daily offer ourselves up on God's altar for his use and for his glory. Worship is giving of ourselves to God and giving worth to all that God is as we sing, as we read God's word as we pray, as we share our offerings, as we share communion, baptism, as we teach for some who will teach in the next hour. We do all that to glorify God. And we worship through music as a source to praise the Lord. We gratefully praise God by declaring his amazing attributes. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what we are doing as we sing or as we share his word together, as we speak out loud. We worship God by doing righteous acts, by spurring others on to good works as part of the church, showing love and care and compassion for others. All these and much more make up worship, 
which we're called to do in order to provide offerings to God, which it says in Romans 12 is our reasonable service, should be the outflow of the Spirit, should be natural for us to do. And we do all these things to be a reflection of our high priest Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God. Someone has said humility is the altar upon which God wishes that we should offer him his sacrifices. Let me say that again. Humility is the altar upon which God wishes that we should offer him his sacrifices. I like how David puts it in Psalm 51. After his great uh, beginning of the psalm, his great confession to his sin, he says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I think of a song that <clears throat> was popular when I was in uh, Bible college, and it was a song that said, whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Are we at that place in our walk with Christ that we're willing to say those words, that, Lord, whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Is there anything in your life that's off limits to God right now? What are you holding back on that God wants you to surrender to him? I hope you pray about that and think about that in your heart of hearts. Our application is this, that God makes us living stones to reflect in real time the living stone to the culture around us. The more we're like Jesus, the more we're salt and light to the world around us. The more that we light the way when the darkness is uh, encroaching more and more upon this world. Well, trusting Christ as a building rests on its foundation is a good picture to hold on in our lives. Peter brings it home with a decision that all of us have to make. People decide to receive or reject the living stone. In 1 Peter 2, look at verse 6. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. First thing we see here is the honor of building our foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. What an honor that is. We don't have time to look at 1 Corinthians 3, but he talks about there in verse 11 about laying that foundation on no other than Jesus Christ. Verse 6 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, The Messiah will be chosen and precious as we previously defined and is wanting people to come and believe and trust in him. Notice it says in verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. Peter is testifying here that the Old Testament is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Notice, behold, he says, behold, view the Messiah. Look at him with gazing eyes. He will be a special stone in Zion, specifically on the Mount of Jerusalem. He will establish his permanent physical kingdom there one day. Notice he says he's a chosen stone. Once again, Christ is portrayed as the precise person to be the cornerstone of the building, the foundation. And a cornerstone is important because it establishes the plumb line of the building. Uh, all the lines that go out from that cornerstone, horizontal and vertical, help to make sure that the building is built in perfect symmetry, symmetry as, as the architect designed it to be. And so... That's why the cornerstone is so valuable and so important. 
He says that he's precious, something that's unequaled in value, costly and irreplaceable. Many of you probably have family heirlooms. I, I grieve with those out in California and others that have experienced wildfires and had their pictures and their belongings, things that can't be replaced. Part of their family is gone. You know, my wife, the ring that she has that I gave her for her engagement ring is something that's part of her family, a diamond that was passed down from generation to generation. It's more valuable than a dollar amount because it's part of the family. That's how precious Jesus is beyond description. And then it says that they will not be put to shame. Shame here means being deceived or betrayed by someone's promise, placing hope in someone and having that hope dashed. He's saying here in the Greek, in this particular verse, this is a double negative. And when a writer writes a double negative, that's what I learned in intermediate Greek, it means that it's impossible for it to happen. We are not called to be put to shame. We're going to be brought to glory, and shame will not be a part of our lives, and it's gone forever, just like our guilt when we surrender to Christ and our sins are forgiven. In other words, here Peter is saying that whoever believes in Christ will never lose their salvation. They will never be shamed or destroyed. Our hopes in Christ will stand the test of time and his promises will never fail. And Peter is saying for Christ followers that the ultimate victory is yours and your eternal life is secure no matter what happens. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, a cornerstone is the visible support on which the rest of the building relies for strength and stability. And I'm grateful that Jesus Christ is my cornerstone, my foundation, that will get us through everything in this life. And then we see the destruction of rejecting the rock of Jesus Christ. Look at the middle of verse 7 of 1 Peter 2 and verse 8 as we close. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Here Psalm 118, 22 is being quoted as a prophecy leading to this time period. The Jews had rejected Christ, and Christ became the stone that they stumbled upon. The picture here is of someone walking on stones, and then all of a sudden they begin to stumble on the uneven stones, and then they fall and they crash against those rocks, and they're hurt or even destroyed. The rock the Jews rejected as Messiah has brought judgment upon them for now because of their unbelief. It says they were, it was destined to do. God appointed them for judgment because they did not believe. In 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul said, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Now listen carefully. God does not destine people to unbelief, but he does bring judgment upon those who continue to walk in that unbelief. And if we lay our foundation on Jesus Christ and build our lives on that foundation, God will make us into spiritual houses that will never, ever be destroyed. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was talking about building our house on the rock, and you're probably very familiar with this parable, but let me read it to you again. In Matthew 7, 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So many people are building parts, if not all their house, on the sand of this current culture and this temporary world. They're more interested in the approval of men than the approval of God. Some are holding on to grudges, letting pride stand in their way of being the holy priest in God's service they need to be. The good news is that we can go in confidence that we're secure in Christ, that we have all the privileges and benefits afforded to us as Christ followers. We're called living stones for Christ. So here's the application. Every Christ follower can have bedrock assurance of eternal life by laying their spiritual foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. A very good summary word there. Every Christ follower can have bedrock assurance of eternal life by laying spiritual foundation on the rock of Christ so we can live in confidence that no matter what happens, that God has our best interests in mind and he's going to get us through the storm and he's going to make us better for it in the end. Our key thought is this. Are you honoring God's work in your life by building daily on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Are you building on that foundation on a daily basis? Becoming more like him? There's a story of a church in New Brunswick. And in that area, there's a place called Deer Island. And it's interesting because the fishermen for years before they put a navigational system in, um, would come to this cove, this little inlet, and the church was elevated a couple hundred feet above the cove. And it wasn't anything special about it. It didn't have the design of a lighthouse or anything. But the steeple always had lights on it. And at night, when the fishermen were coming in, they would always line their boats up to the steeple of that church to help them avoid the shoals and the ledges and the rocks that would get them safely into shore. In the 60s, they did build a navigational system with lights and everything for all that. But for several hundred years, the light of that steeple guided people safely home in their ships. May you and I, as the lights, as the living stones for Christ, may we be guiding people safely home to faith in Jesus Christ. May we be that example like of that church there in Deer Island in New Brunswick. I leave you with this as we pray. How will you be a living stone this week, a holy priest to minister to others and to be salt and light in your neighborhoods this week? Let's pray. As we pray today, I encourage you to look into your heart of hearts. And maybe there's an area of your life that you've been holding back from God. You haven't really let him have full reign and full control of that area. Sometimes it's our checkbook, our finances. Someone has said we can tell a lot about our spiritual life by looking at our checkbook and see how we, how we spend our money. What are our priorities? Maybe it's an area of entertainment. Maybe we've gotten involved in things that are not glorifying to God through our entertainment choices. Maybe it's in our relationships that we're holding grudges, that we're not carrying out the ministry of reconciliation 
and resolving conflict. If we allow those things to fester and we don't surrender them to the Lord, it limits us being the holy priest, the living stone that God wants us to be. Father, I pray you work in hearts and lives this morning. The great thing about your Holy Spirit is you know exactly what the needs are of each individual person here in this room and watching online. Lord, I pray that your word would be sharp, a two-edged sword going to the heart and speak to people's lives today. And may they surrender and give areas of their life over to you, no matter how hard it is, no matter what it takes for my will to break. That's what we want to do, Lord. We pray you help us to do that. And so, Lord, help us as we go out this week to continue to be living stones, to be salt and light to a world that is walking around in blindness, looking for answers. May we be the answers to some this week. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.